Well, I got all my tears dried up until uh, you started talking, and it. I feel so overwhelmed in a good way. I feel so overwhelmed tonight by the presence of the Lord, the love of His people, the liberty that is in His Holy Spirit. I've just been sitting there crying the whole time. And uh, if you saw me blowing my nose, I'm, I'm not sick, I, but that's what happens when you, when you cry. God's so good to us. You know that? I looked out as I was sitting here at the different faces and thought of the different phases of my life. And uh, I see a lot of friends and I see people that are as close as family and I see family. And um, I also saw a lot of brokenness. I see suffering that you've been through, some of you. I had a conversation with somebody the other day that reached out to me about a real estate issue and she said, the reason I called you is because I feel like I can trust you because the stuff you post on Facebook, even if I don't always like it, I feel like you're being real. I feel like you're honest. We live in a culture right now where that is a hard thing. To be honest. I've been praying, and this may come out in the message, but uh, I'll get to what I told her in a minute why I brought that up. But I've been praying for God to raise up courageous soldiers for Him. We need men of courage more than we ever have. Families who will be surrendered to the Lord and churches who will have a greater fear of God than anything else. My pastor preached last Sunday that there's a fear that drives out all other fear. That's the fear of the Lord. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you being here, Brother Brian. It humbles my heart. Appreciate different ones, my family and different visitors. That's, That's part of why I'm overwhelmed. But most of the reason I sat there overwhelmed is how nice my Lord is to me. I don't know why He's so nice to me. It's one thing to be loving. It's one thing to be merciful. It's one thing to help, but he's actually nice. He's a whole lot nicer than I am, isn't he? Nicer than you, too. None of us can be as nice as God. But he's also real. And I remember a time I was terrified of him. I remember a time that for years my mother took me to church and I was uncomfortable. And I'm thankful I grew up a little bit before the time that making people feel comfortable became so important. Because it was good for me to be uncomfortable. It was good for me to be confronted with the error of my ways and the sin that I was trapped in. It was good for me to know that I was broken and lost and in desperate need of a Savior. And if I had never felt uncomfortable, I wouldn't have known that. And that's what I told this person who called me about real estate. I, I said, listen, and she disgruntled with church, all this. And I said, look, I get it. But you know what I think about? God only uses broken people because that's all there are. There are broken people who realize it and there are broken people who won't admit it. <laughs> that's it. That's what it means to be a sinner. 
And when God saved me, I never stopped being in this messed up tent tabernacle body that I don't know about you, but I'm glad it's going to be destroyed one day and made into something so much better. It's such a distraction, this stuff, from what I want. So as I preach tonight, I hope that that can be the foundation that everything I say comes from a place of overwhelmed uh, love, but also for a reverent fear for my Lord. You know what motivates me to preach? I want to please Him. And that is in opposition, it's in conflict with my flesh, which wants you to like me. It's hard. My flesh wants me to preach things that make people like me. That's not enough. And brothers and sisters, young people, as we go into the future, we need to be a people who are willing to speak the truth. Oh, we can try to do it lovingly, but we need to speak the truth even when it makes people uncomfortable. I want to remind us, I didn't have this planned, but I want to read a little passage from Acts. Remind us what the first church operated like and give us an example of what I believe the future will become more like. Listen, this um, American experiment we've lived in that has been such a blessing over the last couple hundred years is unique in history. We think the world is disintegrating and everything's getting worse and everybody's abandoning God. What we're starting to see is something closer to the way the rest of the world has always experienced things. We've been blessed and privileged to grow up in a country where there's cultural Christianity. And the more the cultural Christianity um, erodes or melts away, the more true Christianity will have to emerge amidst a secular humanist backdrop. And so what I read to you, I think this might be more like, I don't know, 5, 10, 20, I don't know how far down the road, but the future will be more like this than what we've grown up in as the good old days. We read about in the first parts of Acts about people being pricked in the heart and being troubled and, and asking how, what to do and then being told, repent and seek the Lord. And then once you do that, be baptized. <laughs> and then we see Peter and John preaching with boldness and being used by God to perform miraculous works. And 4th chapter, 13th verse of Acts, it says, When the people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, that's what will make a difference in our broken world. Not better methods, not more education, not um, like camouflaging with people who we make uncomfortable so they feel less uncomfortable so we can have a civil dis- I don't know if y'all have noticed, but civil discussions are over with if people don't agree with you. I, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. I wish it did. But what it's going to take is us caring enough to speak the truth from a place of love where people, the only conclusion they can make is... That's not him. That's not Justin. That's not Brother Ron. I know him. There's nothing I can attribute that to except the power of God. There's no way he could be that bold unless God's in it. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John. It doesn't say when they saw their kindness. Please don't misunderstand me. It's important to be kind. 
But Jesus said the truth will set you free. Amen. Not being kind or nice to people. So when they saw the boldness of these men, that's what helped them conclude. They felt the power of God. They saw that these men, their lives, listen, the survival of their fleshly tabernacle was not their primary concern. That's what it means when it said they saw their boldness. These men preached and they didn't care if it meant they would die. I want to be like that. That's what my heart craves. You think they hurt some people's feelings along the way? Yeah. You think some people misunderstood them? Yeah. Some people misunderstood Jesus. I want to care enough about people's souls to speak the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. I want to be bold. I want God to raise up people who are bold. I want the Lord to continue to encourage churches to be bold and faithful to Him. And by the way, you're singing last night. God bless you. I loved hearing about that. Praise the Lord. Keep on keeping on. We'll move ahead because I want to get to the message that I feel like I was supposed to bring. But I want this to be the backdrop. So the, the government came and they called them, the, the people that were in charge, uh, the religious leaders, and, and they said, uh, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Causing too much trouble. They commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, this is the 19th verse, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Let me make sure we get this and put it in modern language. The people in authority came to them and said, stop. They commanded them. And the people said, we can't stop. Peter and John, they said, we can't stop. All we can do is speak what we've seen and heard. And whatever you have to do, that's up to you. We have to speak what we've seen and heard. Amen. We can't stop. It doesn't matter if you tell us to. So when they'd further threaten them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because they didn't do anything wrong right. because of the people. Now, they were also afraid of everybody uh, who, who were listening and moved. For all the men glorified God for that which was done. For the man who was healed was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, this Peter and John have been uh, held, they've been in jail, they've been threatened. They went back to their, so to speak, church family. And they said, here's what's been going on. I'm afraid what we would do in our culture... <laughs> Is say, come here, bless your heart, let me give you a hug, make you feel better. You don't need to do that anymore. Listen, that, hey, you, you sure you need to be doing that? It's against the law. Your life's been in jeopardy. You need to really question, I don't think God's in this. That's not what they did. Listen to what they did. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Amen. These people, the first church, 
were aware enough of their own brokenness, aware enough of their own weakness, and aware enough of that they, they didn't have to figure everything out in their mind. They knew whatever the issue was, even if we're not sure exactly what we should do, even if we don't know exactly how to proceed, there's somebody who does. And He's the only one who can direct us. They cried out to God with one voice. And listen to what they prayed. I love it. There's still it's not even about Peter and John's safety. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, "Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is." First they recognized God as the creator of everything. Sometimes when I feel at a loss for what to pray, I literally use the guideline Jesus gave us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will. Not as a rote memorization, but recognizing that seeing God first as the omnipotent king of the universe, the Lord of everything, the creator of heaven and earth, that puts my mind and my heart back into right alignment to ask for whatever else I need or think I need. That's what they did. They recognized who God was, what He had done, His power and His might. And then they continued, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Now they're quoting scripture. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against His Christ, and of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They recognize God as creator, omnipotent Lord of the universe, and then they recognize His sovereignty, which was predicted in Scripture and confirmed in their own lives. Do you, do you believe this today? That nothing, brothers, sister, if you know the Lord, nothing can happen in your life unless God allows it. I chose that word on purpose. I didn't say unless God causes it. Because the world is broken. It's full of sin and things happen because of sin and because of our fallenness that God didn't cause. There's some religious groups that have gone too far in that direction. But bad things happen and God uses them for a greater purpose. But more than that, nothing's going to happen to you unless God allows it. I don't know if we believe that. I have lived that. I have seen it. And I'm overwhelmed that God keeps taking care of me. I don't know how to convey how overwhelmed I am that He sustains me. He's the one. I might get to this later in the message, but I have never added a moment of time to my life through my own worry, my own self-preservation, my own plans. I've never added any time to my life. Amen. I've never kept myself alive. I've never preserved myself. You know what I'm talking about? Say, well, you're a young man. You don't know what it's like. I know what it's like to be to the very edge and almost die. I know that. I know what it feels like. And I didn't keep myself alive. 
I know what it's like to see my wife. Y'all know this story. I thought she was going to suffocate in her sleep. And I can't convey this to you. It's not about me having enough faith, but God taught me in that experience about His faithfulness in a way that's deeper than anything I can describe. And it wasn't... The way He comforted us through her pain and through her suffering and through her loss of function showed me more about His faithfulness than the fact that He healed her. I don't know if I can convey that in words. I trust the Lord more with my own life than I trust myself with my life. That's what I'm saying. Let's continue with what our brothers prayed. Uh, All these earthly leaders came together to do whatever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed or trusted unto salvation were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't you like to experience that? Or maybe you would. I mean, if we're honest, maybe maybe that's a little too much, a little too scary. There's a part of me that's kind of scared of that kind of manifestation of the power of God. But there's something deep inside that craves it, that longs for it. For God's people in one place to be united in such a way that He literally shakes the building and inspires people to be bolder than we could ever be on our own. Wouldn't that be amazing? So keep that in mind as we flip over to the next passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the text I want to spend the rest of the time this evening on and why I feel like God sent me here tonight. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. I'm going to try to listen to my own words and not censor myself because of how somebody might misunderstand me and not like me later. Because I want to please the Lord. Amen. This past year... If there was a prevailing spirit in the world, it was a spirit of fear. I don't think any of us would deny that. There was a prevailing spirit of fear in the air. It was like you could smell it. And it's still like that in some places. There was certainly a spirit of fear in the air waves. And by that I'm talking about media. You ever wonder why they're called airwaves? 
And why Scripture calls our enemy the prince of the power of the air? That's right. Have you thought about that? Amen. People make money on fear. And if you're a human, there's times that you're going to be afraid. And I think our Lord understands, and there may be even contexts where you could be afraid and not, it not be wrong. That, that might be the case. I'm not really sure. But there comes a point where you remain in fear for too long of a period of time, and it is sin. When it becomes a prevailing spirit that governs and dominates your life, Amen. that is sinful. I don't, I don't want to say that. Because like I said, somebody's going to misunderstand and think I'm mean or critical and that's not my heart. But more than that, it's the truth. God has not given His people a spirit of fear. You know the word for spirit here is panuma, the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit? There are people that are um, permeated with false spirits, with secular humanist spirits, with, with other bad spirits, with a spirit of fear. It fills them like the Holy Spirit should fill the people of God, and animate us to do His will. And there's only so much room in a vessel. There can't be a prevailing spirit of fear that consumes you and fills you, and you be filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. Amen. It, it doesn't work. And let me just say this, in case any of you don't know, this isn't an anti-mask message. That's just one tiny little thing. This is a... Men, quit yourself like a man. Grow up. Put on your armor. Get ready to go to battle. That's what this is about. Brothers and sisters, sisters too. Get to know the Lord. Figure out what he believes and what he says and what he thinks and then do it. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I'm not going to lie to you and say that there aren't times I'm afraid. There's times I'm very afraid. There's times I ask myself, and this is built into this word. Did you know this word fear here, the spirit of fear, is the only time it's used in the New Testament? It's not the Greek word phobos, which is used a bunch of times. This word means specifically timidity, fearfulness, or cowardice. Did you know that? God has not given us a prevailing timid spirit. Brother and sister, especially man of God, you're not supposed to be timid. That's not the same thing as meekness. Some of you think I'm angry right now. I'm not angry. I'm burdened. Our job is not to be primarily nice. Our job is to be loving. And if I knew one of you were about to die by some foolish action you were about to take, I would talk to you like this if I had to to get you to stop. Wouldn't you, parents? Brothers and sisters, wouldn't you do that? 
If you knew your child was about to hop in a car and go hang out with some people they shouldn't hang out with, and maybe one of them was going to be drinking and driving and their life would be in jeopardy, wouldn't you appeal to them with the most passion possible? Why do we think that's mean when it comes to the gospel? What happened to us? I care enough to not just read you a little academic message that was on my mind. I care enough to abandon my plans and try to come from the heart. And I know your pastor feels the same way. I've seen him preach that way. Other brothers here feel that way. God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, fearfulness, cowardice. The Berean literal Bible, sometimes I read different translations and see how they translate a verse and it gives me a better grasp of it. They have it this way, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love and of self-control. The NIV says, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline, brothers and sisters, isn't the same thing as self-constraint. Self-discipline is not the same thing as filtering because your culture expects you to. It's not the same thing. Listen, dear Christian, you've been called. We, me, you, all of us. We've been called to discipline, to sound-mindedness, to moderation, and to self-control. That God commands us to those things. And I want to get back to this spirit of fear. It's impossible. This is why I'm dwelling on this. It is impossible to think clearly or to be in your complete, right, sober mind if there's a dominating spirit of fear. It's literally biologically impossible. You know what the fight or flight response is? It releases uh, cortisol and adrenaline and these these hormones that are made to give you... um, Really, superhuman strength. Sometimes people in that situation, I read a story about a mother picking a car up off of her child who got in a car wreck. She can't do that, but this hormones were running and she, she became, um, that fight or flight response got so big that she could do something that was bigger than herself. You know what she couldn't have done in that moment? Play the piano or paint or do something creative. Your creative center shut down in the midst of fight or flight. Period. If we're consumed by fear, and by the way, this I'm not attacking y'all. You came and had a big singing last night and sprayed germs all in the air and you were here, you weren't worried about it. <laughs> this is meant to be an encouragement. It sounds like you're doing what you feel like you should and keep on doing it. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. But when we, I've been in situations like that. When you are stuck in survival mode, your mind can't be creative. Your spirit misses out on the still small voice of God because all you can hear is the noisy voices in your head. Or your heart pounding in your ears, blood pumping. It's it's not possible to do what we were meant to in the midst of that. Or, or when you get so angry that you see red or whatever, the, it, it, you're not in your right mind. Spiritually, 
As I said, living in fear makes it difficult to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Fear is noisy. Fear is consuming. Fear is distracting. Fear keeps us from focusing on what we were called, commanded, and admonished to focus on, which is namely the Holy Spirit and His fruits. Whatever is good and lovely and praiseworthy and of good report and that has praise in it, think on these things. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? I ask myself. You know what I used to do before I had a smartphone at work? I had a little green Gideon Bible that fit in my pocket. When I went to the bathroom, I took my little Gideon Bible with me. Stopped doing that when I got a smartphone. My wife says to me sometimes, are you stuck in the vortex? These, these, these apps, they're like a vortex. You get stuck. I don't know if that happens to y'all. It happens to me. I, I downloaded a little app on my phone one time called a Quality Time or something like that. I didn't like what it told me, so I deleted it. <laughs> you know what those apps do? It tells you how much time you spend in different parts of your phone. I didn't like knowing. And I lie to myself. And I say, oh, I need it for this or that, or it's necessary for business. But you know what happens? And the app developers, I've listened to them talk about it. They, they did this on purpose, and it doesn't make them bad, evil people. It makes them businessmen who get more business the more time we spend on it. I pick up my phone to look up a phone number or an address, and next thing I know, it's been 15 minutes, and I'm looking at who knows what in a feed. This is something we're, like this is our culture. We we struggle with it. It's a challenge. It threatens our sober mindedness, and we we need say you shouldn't talk about cultural or societal things. I had somebody tell me that recently. That's not that's not what church is for. What do you think it's for? Do you know why John the Baptist got killed? He was talking about a cultural societal issue. He condemned the king for his sin, and he got beheaded for it, and that was pleasing to the Lord. If, if we don't use Scripture to understand how to live in this present world, what is the point Amen. of it? God has given us a guidebook to life. Not just some kind of theology stuff. He's given us a book that helps us understand His character and helps us understand how we should live in this world. And so I'm, not, I'm probably not going to get rid of my smartphone. I really do use it for work. It would, it, my life would be a lot more challenging without it. But, if I'm honest, I have to admit that it feeds a spirit of fear in my life. And there are things I should do to be on guard against that. And it probably applies to the rest of us as well. Before we move on from fear to the other parts of this verse, let's just look at a couple other verses. Remember when the disciples were on the the boat... And there was a big storm. And Jesus was asleep. That always amused me as a child. And I think I, I just assumed, well, he's God. He could just sleep anywhere. But as I've gotten older, I wonder if part of why he was asleep is because his body was so weary. Amen. Amen. 
I've talked to soldiers and Marines and different people that have been in combat, and they say once you've stayed up long enough, you'll sleep. It doesn't matter. Gunfire, mortars, doesn't matter what's going off. I think that might have been what was going on with Jesus. He was physically spent by pouring out his life for the Lord, for his Father in heaven. Well, the disciples were on the ship, the boat, and a, a fishing boat, I guess, and a big storm came, and they were afraid for their lives. And I want you to understand, this wasn't um, no big deal. The kind of storm that they saw was likely to capsize their ship, according to natural evidence. And they came to him and they said, Master, don't you care that we're going to (laughs) die? You know what he said to them? Why are you fearful? He, He didn't solve their problem until he pointed out the truth that he wanted them to understand. Why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. That was a very nice. You know how uncomfortable that made them? I mean, they came to him. They were afraid. They were scared. They thought their lives were in jeopardy. And he said, why are you fearful? And then he he told them they didn't have much faith. You know why he told them that? Because it was the truth. And they needed to understand the truth. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Then, <laughs> they had more fear of him than they did the storm. Amen. What manner of man is this that even the, the winds and the sea obey him? You know what that story shows us, among other things? Fear distorts reality. You think God was going to let the boat capsize and the Messiah, the Savior of the universe, drown? They weren't thinking about reality. They weren't in their right mind. You get it? They were filled with a spirit of fear and they lost grasp of what was true. Fear distracts you ultimately from what's true and real. Let's contrast this story with someone else in Scripture, one of my favorite people, the centurion. A worldly leader, not a great religious guy. He was a soldier. And he came to the Lord and he said, My servant's at home sick. Told him about it. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And he said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He said, I'm a man of authority. And I'm used to needing to get things done. And I tell this person to go over there and he goes. And I tell that person to go over there and he goes. You just say the word. Let me ask you something. Who was living in reality? The disciples on the boat afraid for their lives or the centurion who knew Jesus only had to speak and it would be done? I want to be like the centurion. Just say the word, Lord. Mark records that same verse. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I want to apply this. No, I don't want to, but I feel burdened to uh, to apply this to our present time. I have seen people around me, brothers and sisters, who have settled for not dying when our Lord calls us to live. Amen. 
He has provided a means for us to have abundant life. Listen, brother and sister, staying alive, staying alive at all costs is not the same thing as living. You understand that? One simply biomechanical. You, you can be technically alive on machine and ventilator and there no activity. And that's not really life. The other, living, involves the spiritual as well. And Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to tell you something. This is about me. I don't know if it applies to you and you might not agree. But I'd rather die living than live to simply avoid dying. doesn't mean I'm not going to be comfortable. Well, I might be comfortable. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be cautious. I went and washed my hands after I shook all y'all's hands. I'm kind of a germ foe, but I'm I'm not going to quit living. That's just me. I don't know what God wants for you. Amen. And let me say again, I'm not telling you what you should do. Amen. The last thing I desire from this message is for you to agree with me. Because I'm not trying to peddle my opinion. I'm trying to preach what's on my heart. And I want the Holy Spirit to use that to show you what you need to do personally in your life. Because the idea that God's people should all be homogenous and do exactly the same thing, you don't get that out of the Bible. That's not unity, that's uniformity. That comes from the world, not from God. God's people are supposed to be led by His Spirit. And it's okay if we don't all individually reach the same exact opinions. As long as we have unity about the things that matter. Revelation 21.8, I want us to understand this too, because this is another place that the, the root word in 2 Timothy 1.7, the root word is used uh, in these other verses. That's what I'm reading now. Help us understand it. This is Revelation. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That scares me a little bit. Being filled with a spirit of fear is in the same category. Being filled with a spirit of fear is in the same category as the most heinous sins imaginable. Amen. Did you know that? I don't know if I really realized it until I got into this. I want to say it again. I need to say it again. Dwelling in fear. Dwelling in fear is sin. I love you enough to tell you that. Spending more than a fleeting moment in fear is sin. Fear was made to get you out of a bad situation. Not to live in. Allowing your lives to be governed by fear is sin. And here's the part that really stings me because I ask myself sometimes if this applies to me too much. Cowardice is sin. It might be sinful in some situations to be unnecessarily unkind. 
We shouldn't be mean for no reason. There are many times in my life that I should have been more gentle or a little more soft-spoken. I, I wrestle with that. I repent of it a lot. Just this afternoon, I asked my wife to forgive me for speaking too harshly to her. I didn't say anything mean. I didn't really yell. But it was a little harder than it should have been. And I don't, I don't like that. But we shouldn't be so afraid of being unkind that we're afraid to be real. It might be sinful to be unnecessarily unkind, but it's always sinful to allow your actions to be controlled by cowardice. You know that? It's always sinful to be a coward. Y'all pray for me because I don't know how, uh, I don't know exactly, I'm wrestling with this. I don't know exactly where the truth is. There's times that I don't engage in conversations in the world because I think it's not worth it. I think it's not my place. But later I think, am I just being a coward? I'm not sure. I think, well, that's not my battle to fight. But then I wonder, am am I just... Is my motivation really that I don't want to hurt that person or is it that I, I don't want to be uncomfortable? It's tough. Amen. That's why we need to lean on the Lord. Yeah. Let's move to something a little bit more happy before I finish up here. What do we do about all this? Look, I told you all at the beginning of the message, there's only broken people. We're a mess. I don't say that flippantly, but I think I've grown kind of accustomed to the messiness that I am. I, I gave up on self-perfection. It's not going to happen. You know what can happen? There's therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the Spirit, but after the flesh. That's what I want, to try to walk after the Spirit, that the Lord will be pleased. That's not the same thing as self-perfection. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, how much have your hearts been troubled this past year? How much of it was because you were allowing yourselves to be infected with a worldly spirit of fear or allowing yourselves to be fed constant information that distorted what reality really is? Ask yourself that. I'm not telling you what the answer is for you. I don't know. I know what it is for me. Romans 8.15, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I love that. Some people, church members, Christians, live their lives in bondage. Why? Why? God didn't give that to us. God doesn't use fear to motivate His people. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. He leads us. He nudges us. He's a still small voice who speaks right in here. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. You want to understand the things freely given by God? You have to purge yourself. Or allow God to purge the spirit of the world that has, at times, infected all of us. 
If you don't think that's true for you, I'm, I'm not being uh, facetious or arrogant. If you don't feel like that applies to you, please find me after church and tell me what you've been doing. Because everybody I know, the spirit of the world, the zeitgeist, the prince of the power of the air rubs off on us. And affects us. You know what the answer to that is? The spirit from God. The Holy Spirit. The end of the, the very first verse I read, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, I'll say this, the, it's the Greek word dunamis, it's where we get our word dynamic. God wants His people to be dynamic, Amen. to be powerful. Not, dynamic is the opposite of stagnant or sedentary. Dynamic has to do with, with motion. Go into all the world. Teach, baptize, disciple. That's why God has given us these active commands. Power and of love. Love is, is uh, the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13, agape. Love feast. He has given us a spirit of love where the fellowship of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of our brothers and sisters, it, it makes our lives better. Amen. I bet you all probably felt better the end of last night than when you got here. That's the point. We give God praise and glory. That's the foundational point is to lift Him up, but it helps us. Amen. It helps us. And the end of this verse, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, I want to finish up the message talking about sound-mindedness a little bit and why it matters. Why is a sound mind so important? A sound mind, I wrote a little bit of this down so I wouldn't forget it. A sound mind is the means by which you discern whether a manifestation or a leading is really from the Lord. Amen. That's one reason it's important. Amen. If you don't have a sound mind and you're not in a state of um, mental soundness, you may have an emotional uproar inside of you that you think is from God that simply is not. Does this thing you think you've been shown or impressed with really align with the truth of God and the consistency of His character? You, you can't know the truth of God and the consistency of His character if your mind hasn't been exposed to His truths and it's supposed to all work synergistically. Amen. The spirit, the heart, the mind is supposed to work together to help us understand how to live in this world. God doesn't call us to abandon our minds in service to Him. There's some people who seem to think that. That what God wants us to do is just completely disengage our minds, open up our hearts and just do whatever we feel like we should do. But we have to contrast that or balance it with the Scripture which teaches Amen. that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Amen. Who can know it? When Christians tell me I'm just following my heart, you better be careful about following your heart. Your heart's a mess like you are. And on the flip side of that, when it goes too far, and some of my more intellectual brothers or sisters rely too much on their mind, you better be careful with that because... God's ways are above our ways and His thoughts are above our thoughts. He can't be figured out with a human mind. But He calls us to serve Him out of the abundance of a right heart that is in harmony with a renewed mind. That's the point. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
there's been a whole lot of pressure on God's people Amen. in this recent season of time to conform to the spirit of the world around us. And I'm not telling you what you should do, but I'm telling you you better think twice before you conform to anything in the world. God calls us to be transformed. Amen. That's different than being conformed. True. And I don't have time to get into this, but there's a place for submission. Don't, don't misunderstand me. There's definitely a place for submission. But our minds aren't supposed to be just conformed and bent and crushed into the shape of what the people around us think they should be. They're supposed to be transformed and alive to be able to work for Him. To help us know what's right. The truth is the foundation of sound-mindedness. You can't have a fully sound mind if you don't know what the truth is. Freedom. The foundation of freedom is truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He's the, it, it, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. So ultimately, I know sometimes I get frustrated with people with the... the uh, impossibility of certain conversations. And when I step back and realize, if these people don't know Jesus, foundationally, if they've never surrendered their lives to Him and had a supernatural experience of salvation and been filled with the Holy Spirit, if they've never had that, and then on top of it tried to dig into His truth, they're not in their right mind. How mad should I really get? Or frustrated? That'll give us some perspective. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's a foundational thing. Now let's talk about how truth works uh, just a little bit and then I'll finish up because I know it's, it's been a while. Um, to help us understand truth, I want to think about truth as light for a minute. God is described in Scripture as light. John tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness whatsoever. I remember the first time I studied that passage in Greek and it's, there's a double negative. It says God is light and in Him is not no darkness. And uh, some of us from around here, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> but grammatically, it didn't make much sense until I realized they were the, the, the Greek language, the dynamic nature of that language was emphasizing that He's just not free of darkness. He's free of every hint of darkness. Amen. There's nothing dark about Him and no shadow of darkness. In fact, James says it this way, that He's the Father of lights and in Him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen, I'm, I'm a human. I'm inconsistent as much as I try not to be. I'm not as faithful as I should be. I'm, I'm not anything I should be. But God is everything He should be. Amen. And there's no shadow of Him turning away from who He should be and who He is. There's no shadow of darkness in Him. God is light. And we're taught. Jesus, in fact, told... Uh, Nicodemus, he said this, John chapter 3, This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth or, or practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. 
God is light. Jesus Christ came to bring light to the world. What does that mean? This is foundational. It's the point of everything I'm talking about. When you're confronted with light, there's only one of two responses, two different responses you can do, and we pick one of, of the two. You either resist, throw up walls, cover your head. You know, like if it's four o'clock in the morning and someone flips the light on you in your room, it makes your eyes smart. Some people, you're going to go back under your pillow, cover your head. Some people are going to pop up even though it's uncomfortable. How do you respond? And lest anybody misunderstand me, I'm not talking about your morning wake-up habits. When you're confronted by the light of the word of truth, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, do you go into a defensive posture and put your hands up and start making excuses and start saying, yeah, but? Or do you say, God, expose to me the error of my ways. Reveal to me who I really am. Show me where I fall short, Lord. Show me what's true. Even if that means I have to abandon everything I thought was true. You really feel that way. I know some of you do. Do you double down on your own opinions, thoughts, or feelings, or do you embrace this self-exposing light of God and say, Lord, (laughs) you know. Jesus made it clear people who love darkness refuse to come to the light. They're afraid of being exposed. That's really the difference in people who are living lives surrendered to God and people who aren't. Notice I didn't say just saved and lost. Saved people who are trying to live surrendered lives want to be proved wrong by the Holy Spirit. As uncomfortable and as painful as it is. If you've grown up in church, you got comfortable with saying, I'm a sinner. But it's a whole lot harder to say and feel, I've been wrong. So I want to I conclude with that thought. With, with everything I said, again, I, I'm not trying to peddle my own opinions. I hope it didn't come across that way. But I want to encourage you. to expose yourself to information, primarily the Word of God, that is going to allow you to have a sound mind, to expose yourself to situations and environments, primarily God and His people, that's going to allow you to have a cleansed heart. I want to encourage you to do that and to listen to the Holy Spirit about what you should do in every present moment of your life. That's what it's going to take for what many of us say we want to happen, to happen. It was told of the first church, these men turned the world upside down. God hasn't changed. Amen. He can do that. I pray for it. Yes. I love y'all. And um, I love the Lord. He's been so good. So good to me. I better just stop or get overwhelmed again. I love you, brother. Amen.